This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. My first presidency might have been... It's in the book here. It's, Isn't is it? Is it? Let's sit hang on. You get all of these. This is, oh, no. This, this is the cookbook. This isn't the program. This is Laverne Page. She's been a librarian at the Library of Congress for 47 years, and she's been a leading member of the library's cooking club for almost as long. Yes, cooking club presidents. So you have Christmas luncheon chairpersons, 1966 started Which this. means you were the vice president. Okay. And then the president. Cooking club presidents. Let's see. 82. Laverne Page, 1986. 86. Okay. And then later in the 2000s, I was president for about four years straight. Laverne was president for four years in the 2000s because nobody else wanted the job. But it wasn't always that way. The Library of Congress Cooking Club was formed in 1949. Librarians who are experts in just about every culture and region you can think of would come together to share foods from all over the world. The cooking club developed from this simple club into something very elaborate. For decades, the club was an institution at the library. But then it started losing members. By the 2000s, it was just about dead. Then, a few years ago, Laverne decided to try to bring the cooking club back. She enlisted help from another longtime club member and partner in crime. I'm Laverne. And I'm Shirley. How often do you and Laverne joke about the fact that your names are Laverne and Shirley? We've never joked about it. It's classic. Mm-hmm. I used to watch it. Yeah. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Do you have a food-related dispute with a friend or loved one that we could help you work out? Well, you are in luck because we're getting ready to do another call-in show. You tell us the problem and I'll attempt to solve it, this time with the help of Eric Eddings and Brittany Luce, hosts of the podcast for Colored Nerds. You want the chance to hash out your most divisive food-related disagreements right here on The Sporkful with Brittany, Eric, and me? Email me at hello at sporkful.com. Thanks. All right, let's get back to it. The Library of Congress is the biggest library in the world. It has 500,000 food books alone. And if you lined up all its books on one shelf, the shelf would be 838 miles long. It would cover the entire width of Texas, with a few miles of books to spare for New Mexico and Louisiana. And as you might guess, a library with that many books needs a lot of librarians. At the Library of Congress, there are experts in just about every region, culture, and period of history you can think of. Now, on one hand, that's really cool. It's an extraordinarily diverse group. On the other hand, when you work in a place that big, it's overwhelming. 
Most folks just stay in their departments. It can be hard to meet people. That's where the Library of Congress Cooking Club comes in. Laverne Page is a librarian in the African and Middle Eastern Division. You heard her at the top of the show. She oversees the Southern African Collection. Like I said, she's been at the library and in the cooking club for more than 40 years. It was a social entity. It allowed you to to meet people from other units and also to learn about other jobs. So this might help to to help you with your job because you would know who who to call for for something, some copyright question, a cataloging issue. You would know these people and you might have met them in the cooking club. They ended up being essential work colleagues and also personal friends. The cooking club was founded in 1949. In the 70s and 80s, they had a big holiday luncheon every year. Laverne helped put together elaborate themes. One year it was a Harlem Renaissance Christmas. The club had more than 70 members, and they printed cookbooks with their recipes, everything from lima bean ragu to Javanese banana pancakes to the Ethiopian spice Burberry. Each year, a big silver serving spoon was passed from the outgoing president to the incoming president. We had the World's Fair, F-A-R-E, And we had tables, and on each table, a continent was represented. I do recall for Antarctica, we had ice cream and meringues. (laughs) But for South America, beans, whatever it is that that the chair of the South America group thought of to bring, we we had that. That was um, new for the library, and what it evolved into was an activity that engaged the library. Um, We have language tables here, which means that at lunchtime you get together and you might study Chinese or Urdu. And so these language tables then would offer food. So by us having this World's Fair, it was interesting, it was different, and then it's translated into something else that becomes more of, of a library focus. But as the years went on, the cooking club's original members started retiring, and younger staffers didn't seem as interested. Then, in the 2000s, there were budget cuts and a hiring freeze at the library. The staff organization started on a a decline. They just gradually lost strength, and I think that the cooking club was was a part of, of that decline. When the president of the cooking club retired, nobody wanted the job. The club went a couple of years without meeting at all. It was basically dead. Laverne had been the president a couple times already over the years, so she called together a core group of eight or ten people to revive it. They started scheduling a few talks and programs. Slowly but surely, the cooking club started coming back. So you acted as the president for several years in a row uh, during a period that the, the cooking club was... In decline, as you say, there was a leadership void. A leadership void. What motivated you to do that? Why was it so important to you? Because the club itself is important to me. I still think that these staff organizations are very good for the morale of the staff. They give you something to do during your lunch break. But I wonder if there's something specific for you about food. 
because there are a lot of groups in the Library of Congress. You know, like like you you could have said, you know what, maybe the cooking club is in decline. I'm going to go find another group that's thriving to meet people in. But you spend a lot of your own personal time and effort to keep this club, this club in particular, going. Why? Definitely back in the 70s, I think I needed this this club. And I do know that since girlhood, I've been interested in food. I used to cook with my my best friend. We would get our Betty Crocker cookbooks and come to my house, actually, and we would just make things. And when my father would talk about us as kids, as, as little girls, he would always talk about that, getting together and just making cookies and just making things. I'm amazed that they let us mess up so much food to experiment. Then we decided to go up and down the street. This is a while ago, Meridian, Mississippi, summertime, and we get an onion from one person, we get chicken necks from somebody else, and we get a potato from someone else, and we would bring it back to the backyard and we would cook. Now, I'm also thinking the fire. They weren't worried about us playing with fire, <laughs> but but they weren't. We cooked at home in Memphis, and we cooked in the summer in, in Meridian. That idea of getting an onion from one person and a chicken from the next, it's a communal meal where everyone comes together and contributes. And Laverne saw the same thing in the cooking club. That's a big part of why she fell in love with it. But Laverne isn't the only hero in our story. Yes, it's true, as I said, there's also a Shirley. If Laverne is the visionary, full of ideas, Shirley Lou is the person you go to when you want to get things done. She's been working on databases at the library for nearly 50 years. Her first turn as president of the cooking club came in 1974. Like Laverne, Shirley stepped in to keep the cooking club going and picked up the slack when Laverne's husband passed away. What drew me to the club, I've always been interested in cooking. Not that I'm a great cook, but I love eating. I love seeing what other people prepare. I'm always on the lookout for something that's easy to prepare, tastes good, and looks like you spent a lot of time, but you didn't. That's the kind I like. Not the ones where you really spend a lot of time preparing it. So I have here the Library of Congress Cooking Club cookbook from 1975. There's a recipe that you yourself submitted. Can you tell me about the recipe? Yes, it was a recipe that my supervisor, Janet Biggs, had given to me. I think I must have asked her when I tasted it at some party we had. And it was something easy. There were so few ingredients. You just needed a can of stewed tomatoes, which I always have in the kitchen. You needed some jello, a box of jello. You needed uh, some salt, some vinegar, and that's it. And what's it called? It's called tomato surprise. I love foods with the word surprise in them. I think that I think that more foods need to have the word surprise in them. Plus, you cook it in the can. Oh my god, let me look at this recipe. <laughs> so there are fewer things to wash afterwards. So you take a can, a can of stewed tomatoes, a box of strawberry jello, a little salt and a little vinegar. You heat the tomatoes in a saucepan, add the jello to the adding the jello, add salt and vinegar and boil and then you chill and stewed tomatoes can in until can. firm. Yes. So, so what does it taste like? Is it like tomato jello? It, it's, it tastes good. I haven't made it in a while, but now that I've seen the recipe again, I'll make it again. I should have brought it to the party today. People would have liked it. 
and I, I know that the, the cooking club sort of fell on hard times in recent years. Mm-hmm. That there was a little bit of a lack of leadership mm-hmm. and you and Laverne have kind of stepped in and kind of come, come back into it to take over that, mm-hmm. to fill that void. Yes. It seems like it's a lot of work. Yes, it is. Why do you do it? I guess it's part of me where I tend to step in where I feel I'm needed. And I've said to club members, uh, once we get a higher number of members, we're going to have elections. Do you think it would be hard at all for you to let go of the reins? I'm going to retire. (laughs) (laughs) Shirley's quick to add that she's been saying she's going to retire since 2015. But for now, she's still there. And the cooking club carries on. One of the most active members is Lillian Gassi. She works for the Congressional Research Service. She does research for members of Congress. She was attracted to the cooking club by its diversity of people and food cultures. The Mediterranean diet thing, which was interesting, and then, um, you know, the Indian cooking and the ones that about kosher food. I've always wanted to know what what exactly it means. And I think I was the one who asked the most questions about all these kinds of things because I grew up in an in a Islamic country in Malaysia and uh, they have all these things about, you know, pork and halal. halal. And so I had a lot of questions about things like that, about cultural differences in food. And I gave a, a, a presentation myself on how to wrap rice dumplings using bamboo leaves. I did all the preparation at home. I brought the bamboo leaves that were already soaked, the rice that were already seasoned. And all we did was to like learn how to wrap it, which is kind of an art. And then while I was there, I learned something new because apparently the Filipinos did the same thing, but they they wrapped it differently. So I learned another method of wrapping that was Francine. She said, oh, we, I know what this is. You know, I've done this before, but we don't wrap it like the way you show. So let me show you how it's done. So that was kind of fun. And everybody like, really got into it, you know, in our conference room and we were all wrapping rice. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So you get the, the Jewish guy teaching <laughs> the Malaysian woman about kosher. You get the Malaysian woman teaching everyone else about dumplings. And the Filipino woman teaches the Malaysian woman <laughs> something different about dumplings. Right. It's, yeah. It's, it's uh, a lot of learning. Yeah. What are some of the, I, I know there are always exceptions, but what are some of the common personality traits of the kinds of people who would want to be librarians? I think we tend to be collaborative. I was a social worker before and I got so burnt out that I said, I want to go someplace where I don't have to deal with people. And I ended up being a librarian, (laughs) which, uh, you know, requires dealing with people. It's not, you know, the whole stereotype that you only work with books. It's not true. I would think that that this career would be especially appealing to people who are just sort of very curious. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) There's something about the cooking club that feels quintessentially librarian to me. Because it's like... Like smart people who really just get a lot of pleasure from learning things. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Yeah, and and we are open to new things. I mean, nobody in the cooking club would, you know, would say no to trying something new. And that's what I've seen before. And they were like, oh, you know, you brought something interesting. I want to try it. That's the attitude. And and I think that's, you know, they want to learn. They want to try something new. They always ask you, like, how did you do that? (laughs) 
Coming up, I'll attend the Library of Congress Cooking Club's Holiday Luncheon. This event is a big opportunity for Laverne and Shirley to bring in new members to find people to carry on the tradition. So how many people will show up? Plus, I'll attempt to make some friends there by telling librarian jokes. Oh, boy. Okay, I'll I'll have to file those in my database. Stick around. And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation, family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. they got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. At Boar's Head, delicious is in the details. And you see that in their incredible selection of hummus flavors. Boar's Head hummus is expertly crafted to achieve the perfect balance of creamy texture and refined taste. You can taste those chickpeas. You can taste the tahini. You can taste a little bit of acidity. It's got it all. I especially love their roasted red pepper hummus made with fire-roasted peppers. You can even taste a little bit of that char. It's perfectly dippable. It's perfectly spreadable. This is the kind of thing you always want to have on hand in your refrigerator. Dip, scoop, spread, or smear boar's head hummus to your heart's content. Hummus so extraordinary, it can only be boar's head. Compromise elsewhere. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know that peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. 
Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. On last week's show, I talked with vegan cookbook author Bryant Terry. When he wrote his first book, Vegan Soul Kitchen, he had a hard time getting it published. He says editors just didn't understand the connection between Black people and veganism. But Bryant sees it differently. My first contact with veganism were... I mean, it was Black Seven Day Adventists. And then after I had the obligatory being fascinated with the Nation of Islam and learning about their health ministry, as, as, as much as people like to vilify African-American diets and, and talk about how artery clogging and unhealthy it is, those are reductive ways of thinking about a large, diverse and complex culinary traditions. But the foundations, the core of a lot of traditional Black diets are largely vegetable-centric. Brian also tells me about his new publishing imprint, and we talk about the immersive party experience that is his new cookbook, Black Food. That one's up for you now. Get it wherever you got this one. Okay, back to the Library of Congress. Before we return to the cooking club, a few more facts about the library itself. The smallest book in the library is Old King Cole. It's 1 25th of an inch by 1 25th of an inch, or about the size of the period at the end of your last text. The oldest written material there is a cuneiform tablet from about 2000 BC. And they have one of the world's three perfect copies of the Gutenberg Bible printed on vellum. Okay, trivia time's over. Back to the Library of Congress Cooking Club and my visit there, which took place a few years ago. Vern and Shirley were determined to make their dreams come true, doing it their way. When I arrived, they're setting up for the cooking club's holiday luncheon in a conference room. There are six large round tables, plus a long table at one end where people put the food they bring. I can tell Laverne and Shirley are a little stressed. Laverne rushes in with decorations saved from past luncheons. I work in, a, in another building. And so this is my second trip over here. Oh, geez. <laughs> but I come over and I brought my items and then I remember, you know, I left things right. back at my desk. Can I give you a hand? Can I help you out with something? I, I'm just going to put these under the table. Laverne rushes back out to get the bag she forgot. As people start arriving, placing food on the end table, Shirley worries about having enough space for the food, enough chairs for the guests. The room starts to fill up and I started chatting with people. Dr. Sandra Charles is the library's chief medical officer. Yes, the Library of Congress is so big, they need to have a physician on staff. What are the most common work-related injuries at the Library of Congress? Mm. Let's see, most common, probably musculoskeletal things related to materials handling. Has anyone ever come into your office with a paper cut? Yes. But it took me about 10 years being here before that happened, although everyone thought that's all I was going to see when I started working here. <laughs> so uh, so you, I see some ginger beer on display here. Is that that's your contribution? Yes, it is. I love ginger beer. You ever had a dark and stormy? I have. Right. I have. My children introduced me oh, to <laughs> that, a.k.a. Moscow Mule. Right, so, yes, yes. Yes, plus I have a son who's a bartender. Oh, so you definitely know. Yeah, like good, good. Is, so. What do you love about the cooking club? Oh, I learned a lot. It was very long before I started to actually cook on my own because my grandmother lived with me uh, even after I was married and had children. And she did all the cooking and she wouldn't even let me close. And the cooking club has given me a chance to really experience a lot of ethnicities, uh, a lot of little tips and tricks. 
Is there one food or dish in particular that sticks out in your memory? Is something you learned about here or experienced here that, that is memorable? Honestly, it's something very simple. It was a pesto. Because I've always said, what is in pesto? And it's really not very different from what we call green seasoning in the Caribbean, where you just basically get all the herbs and chop them together with a little pepper and vinegar and preserve it and use it for seasoning. And um, if you're in a pinch or in a hurry, you don't have to start doing your preparation from scratch. Right. Yeah. Here's a pro tip for navigating a party when you don't know many people. Prep a bit of material in advance. Maybe you have a funny story that you think this crowd's going to appreciate. On your way to the party, tell the story in your head once or twice until you've really got it down. Then use it over and over again at the party to fool people into thinking you're a real, live, relatable human being. At the cooking club luncheon, as I worked the room, I favored the guests with some librarian jokes I found online. How many librarians does it take to change a light bulb? I have no idea. Usually 645.5, but sometimes 808.882. Oh, clever, clever. <laughs> <laughs> Why are libraries the tallest buildings? Because they have the most stories. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, I'll, I'll have to file those in my yeah, database. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear about the librarian who slipped on the library floor? No. She was in the non-friction section. <laughs> <laughs> By now, the room was full. And so was the food table. Shrimp cocktail, lentil salad, potato kugel, which is like a Jewish hash brown casserole. There were raw collards with ginger, nasi lemak, which is a Malaysian rice dish, Singapore noodles, crab parmesan tacos in a ginger lime dressing, and a lot more. And everything was delicious. People were filling their plates and finding old friends. Jeannie Drews is chief of binding care and mass deacidification. Basically, that means when a really, really old book is falling apart, she puts it back together to preserve it. But what exactly is deacidification? That is the neutralization of the acid in paper to extend the life of the paper. So you do that to books so that they don't fall apart? That's right. So I call it antacid for books. (laughs) Because it does actually exactly the same thing, and it's actually the same chemical. Can you describe to me, like, what is a real tough challenge that's going to land on your desk? Like, a, what, what's the worst-case scenario? Like, something that you're like, boy, this is really going to be a job. When the book is all broken up into pieces and there isn't another copy available, we have the only copy, that's like my worst nightmare. And what do you do? Well, sometimes we piece it together and then uh, digitize it. Sometimes... It's a lost cause and we can't do anything. But I try to save as much of the intellectual content of everything that comes across my desk. So bookbinding and deacidification, this is, these are your areas of expertise. Right. And what do you like about it? I love that I can share what I know to help people. And then, of course, here at the Library of Congress, I'm saving not only the national history, but I'm also saving world history. And... I don't like to repeat the errors of the past, so what I want to do is make sure that the past is available so that we learn from our mistakes and our good things. Um, How are we doing on that? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) 
some of us, I think, are doing well. <laughs> Jeannie's been in the cooking club for 10 years, which, as she puts it, still kind of makes her a newcomer compared to people like Laverne and Shirley. One of Jeannie's favorite ever cooking club events was a talk about pies. A chef came in and encouraged them to experiment. That led Jeannie to make a pretty radical change to her homemade pie crust. And when I was offered some bear fat, when one of my friends who is a hunter, it is the best pastry I've ever made. Still, Jeannie feels like a rookie. But at this luncheon, there were some real newbies. Chaim Gottschalk is a cataloger in the Israel Judaica section. You remember earlier I talked with Lillian, she's the woman from Malaysia who was super interested in the talk about kosher rules? Chaim gave that talk. He's part of a new wave of librarians who came on board after that 15-year hiring freeze ended. This was his first year at the library and in the cooking club. I, I joined for a couple of reasons. I enjoyed just to have a chance to meet other people from other uh, um, sections and other divisions. Because otherwise I'm stuck in my own four corners. And I thought this is a great way of meeting new people. And I, what I enjoy is that my, my wife loves to cook. And this is something I could share with her as well. And just bring home new ideas, that's new, the things I've learned, and it's fun. And what have been some of the highlights? We learned a, bit, a little bit more about uh, Indian cooking. The first session I intended was about the about differences between spices and herbs, and I thought that was a fascinating thing. Donna Jones Bay works for the Congressional Research Service. Their work is pretty confidential. Members of Congress can request info on just about anything, like scientific data or the history of a certain policy, or Donna tells me, maybe there's a phrase that an official is using a lot in speeches and they want to know where it comes from. There was one where I was asked to get the origin of the phrase brain freeze. No, not brain freeze. It was, oh, it, butt freeze. Butt freeze? It was, it was something like that. It was like a not common saying, and nobody, they couldn't figure out who has said it first, where it originated from. Is it wrong if I Google it on my phone? Is that insulting to do with the Library of Congress? Brain freeze. No, it wasn't a brain freeze. Brain what? Brain fart. Brain fart. Yes. At one point, someone wanted to know where did this come from. So it was almost as if the person quoting the term themselves had, had a brain, a brain fart. fart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And do you remember the answer? It came from a general. That's okay. as much as I can say. Okay. It came from a known general. And <laughs> how long have you been in the cooking club? I am not a member yet of the cooking club. I was well, invited as a visitor. Oh, well, welcome. You and gotta... I think I might come on board because I have fun today. Yeah. <laughs> what did you nice like about people. it? I thought it was nice. You know what I liked most of all besides the company? I like that they identified what each item on the menu was and the ingredients. What were the, uh, what were the highlights? Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or slight anybody, but I really, 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 really enjoy the cranberry sauce. Ooh. And my second best was the tomato soup. Okay. They tasted homemade, and like a good cook who knew what they were doing made them. During the luncheon, I didn't talk with Laverne and Shirley. They were really focused on overseeing the event. But after everyone left, I checked in with them. Oh, I could not begin to tell you what I ate. It was so much and unexpected. 
for me, as my first cooking club event seemed like a success. We got a great turnout. The food was delicious. A lot of people seemed to be having fun. How does it make you feel? I'm glad that we got the turnout. I'm glad that that people did participate. It's it's good. Dan, I was glad to hear that you ate something at the luncheon. <laughs> oh, Shirley, I didn't get into this job by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if I'm going to go around interviewing people about food, I have to eat something. Mm-hmm. It's sort okay. of my it's my journalistic duty, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how did you feel about the luncheon? It went well. There were times it was a little chaotic, but it went fine. We had a great turnout, and the food was good. Though people kept bringing in food later and later. So one person had to take food half-eaten because she came in so late. So I I know you put a lot of work into these events. Mm -hmm. How does it feel now that it's over and and it seems like it was was a success? I'm happy because we got a number of new members, people who had not joined before, plus a number of current members renewed. And I only brought 10 membership forms because only two people said they were going to pay money at this event. And we used up all of it. This episode was recorded five years ago, so now we have some updates. I'm happy to tell you that the Library of Congress Cooking Club is going strong, even through COVID. In 2017, they had about 60 members. Today, they're up to 114. As for Laverne, she stepped down as co-president of the club, and being involved is a bit harder now that she works from home, but she is still a member. In 2017, Shirley celebrated 50 years at the Library of Congress. Soon after, she announced her retirement, although she stayed on as the cooking club president until a few months later when they had new elections. But they couldn't get rid of Shirley so easily. She's still vice president of the club. The current president is Phoebe Coleman. Phoebe says they're not planning a holiday luncheon this year because of COVID, but she tells us the club still holds lectures, now mostly online. There was a recent one called A Tour of Dietary History and Trends in America. Next week on the show, we got a very fun one for you. I'm going to document my attempt to make a viral TikTok with help from one of TikTok's biggest food stars. My talk, is is that what you call it? Is that a singular contribution to TikTok as a talk? Can we go with that? My talk will involve pie. You don't want to miss it. It'll be up next week. Also, we need you to call in for our New Year's Spectacular. What food do you resolve to eat more of in the new year and why? Send me your New Year's food resolution as a voice memo. Include your name and where you're from and send it to hello at sporkful.com. We might include you in our year-end episode. Thanks. This show was originally produced by Ann Sani and me with editing help from Margaret Kelly. This update was produced by senior producer Emma Morgenstern and mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. Special thanks to Corey Freeman, whose email to us inspired this episode, and to Bill Ryan at the Library of Congress. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Daisy Rosario. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. This is John in the kitchen telling you to eat s'mores, eat batter, and eat more butter. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.